0: TheYeshiva.net Okay, Tzadik Gimel, printed print page Tzadik Gimel in Torah er, um, that would be page 186. This this discourse of the Baal HaTanya on Purim, which is printed in Torah er, as you see, Megillus Esther, page Tzadik Gimel, Dav Tzadik Gimel Amad um, Adalad, 186, second column was said by the Alter Rebbe, by the Balatanya on Purim of the year Tovkuf Samach, which would be 1800, exactly 1800, Tovkuf Samach. And it explores the fundamental uniqueness and contribution of what Purim represents in the Hashkofa of Yiddishkeit and in the Hashkofa of life with some very uh, radical ramifications, very powerful and radical ramifications as we shall see. As usually he starts off with a posik in the Megillah and it's from this posik and the challenges that we encounter when we study this posik from where the whole idea is built and developed and it evolves. The king, Achashveder, sticks out. He stretches out to his queen Esther, the Sharvet the golden scepter. And Esther stands and comes before the king. This is a Megillus Esther in Perikhes. So the question is a very fascinating one. To understand the discrepancies, the differences between this Parsha and the previous parsh, meaning... In the Megillah, for this you have to remember that in the Megillah, there's two times when Esther comes before the king, and the king welcomes her by stretching out the golden scepter. This pasuk is the second time, it's periches. But the first time happens, of course, when we are in suspense in the great drama of what will happen when Esther approaches Achashverish, when she told Mardukha that everybody knows... That if you go into this king without permission, if you weren't summoned, you come out with a head shorter. Achas <speaking in Hebrew> dosoi I wasn't summoned already for 30 days. And nonetheless, Esther takes the leap. And after three days she dresses up and she goes in and she knew v'chasher avadati, avadati. I'm going in. I'm going in illegally. And this can cost me, cost me my life. But she goes in. And it says he's sitting on his throne and when he sees Esther, she attracts his grace. And it says he stretches out, in the first story, Perik in the Megillah, chapter 5. He takes the scepter in his hand and he stretches it out and she comes close and she touches the point of the sharvit. and he says, what do you want? What can I do for you? And she invites him to the party. And then there's one party, and then there's a second party, and Haman is executed. All that happens, but after Haman is executed, what happens? What happens in Perik He gives Esther his house, Haman's house, and then Esther comes back to the king. And here again, it says by Yosha Tamelech Esther Asfarvet Azov, he stretches out the golden scepter. She comes up and she stands. And she tells him, what I want is something else. Now really, this is the core of the story. We killed Haman, but we did not kill his decree. We killed a guy, but we didn't kill his decree. As far as we're concerned, on the 13th day of Adar, every Jew is going to be murdered. Haman is gone, but the royal decree is a royal decree. So this is the next step, where she actually asks him to alter the decree, which of course he doesn't alter the decree by the way, he simply gives the Jews a right to fight back in self-defense. People think Purim was just a simple holiday, it wasn't a simple holiday, it was a very difficult and challenging war, that they had to fight to defend themselves, but they were successful, and hence the celebration of Purim. So you have two stories in which Esther approaches her husband, the king, and there's a golden scepter that basically represents the nature of the relationship, the closeness or the distance, in both stories. But there are shinuyim. Mm-hmm. So he says, We would expect a similar description. But there are changes. For example, the In the first case it says in peyrek hay vayoshata malge shavta zavashe beyadai the king stretches out to esther the golden scepter in his hand and i'll continue the bosak vatikrav esther vatiga berisha sharvit esther comes and she touches the point of the scepter begam shamna Nemar vatiga berisha sharvit vekan mashma shnosam lo kol sharvit here, when you read the story, it seems like he gives her the whole scepter because here it doesn't say va'yoseh tamelach le Esther esharvit hazov asher biyadoi. It just says va'yoseh va va. Let me quote it: va'yoseh tamelach le Esther esharvit In the first case, it says va'yoseh tamelach le Esther esharvit hazov asher biyadoi. Number one. In other words, it's in his hand clearly. He stretches it out, and it says she touches the point of the shavit. So it's obvious that he's holding on to the shavit. The scepter is mine. I'm stretching it out to you, so to speak, welcoming you, and she touches the point of the shavit. In Perek Ches, it's already a different description. He takes out the words, ashabiyada He stretches out, so to speak. He does Hoishota, which means delivering. He gives her, he stretches out the shavit Hazav, it doesn't say she touches the point. It says, Vatokam Esther, she stands up, Vatamaduf Ne'amelech. So even though it doesn't say clearly, that's why he uses the word mashma. It doesn't say clearly, but Vikan mashma, Shenason le kolar shavit. It's mashma that he gave her the whole Sharvit. In Hilch'es Shabbos, you have moishit miyad liyad. Hoshot, the moishin aliyad means you deliver it from one hand to another hand. So it says, Vatushit in this Periches, Vayyoshit hamelech le Esther, hazov. It sounds like. It's not in B'yoday. Why don't you say it's in his hand? So you might say, well, it's obvious it's in his hand. Well, in Periket, it's also obvious that it's in his hand. When you stretch out something, it's in your hand. But you're emphasizing the first time, HaShem B'yoday. So Balatanya is Medayik. That is a different story. The first time he held it in his hand. All she has contact with is the point. The second time, by Yoshita HaMelech. He gave her the Shavadim. That's why she's not touching the point anymore. It's not the point that she's touching. So both changes explain each other. That's his first his first diuk. Now, how would you answer this Al shot. How will you answer this Al Peep Pshat? Al Pipshat. So the Mithra-Le-Rebbe was the son of the Balatanya, and he wrote down the Mimorium of his father with more explanation. So he writes here a very Gishmak, that Al shot is a reason for this. What's the reason? What happens here is, after the Haman is killed, the first time, remember, there's no drama from Ahasuerus' perspective. Everything is good. He doesn't know Esther is Jewish. She's coming in for just a regular afternoon tea with her husband. Everything is dandy. She knows the drama. He doesn't know the drama. She, it's all in her mind. From his perspective, his wife just came to uh, entertain him. Yeah, more than say hello, but entertain him as Chazal said. So there's no major drama happening. So she comes in, everything, she's dressed, you know, she's dressed beautifully, she needs to impress him, she needs to appeal to him. On the contrary, she's on her top, top demeanor, you know, her persona is glowing. What she needs from HaShverish is that he should basically truly appreciate her and be enamored by her. That's the objective which she fulfills. So as she comes in, he stretches out the Shavit, she touches the Reish The second case, after he already knows everything, It says, She comes to the king. She's now by his feet. She's weeping. She's beseeching him to remove the plot of Haman Hagogi. This is when he stretches out the golden scepter. That's why it says, She was actually by his feet. So if this is the case, we understand that there's a difference. In the first case when she came in illegally. And the only issue was she needed permission to come in because if not, she could be killed. So it was enough for him to stretch out his golden scepter. She touches the point of the scepter. And that means that she could come in. Remember, she's not bowing down. She's not prostrating herself. She's not by his feet. She's not by his legs. He sees her from far. The guards could kill her. So what he has to do is stretch it out so she should touch it. And that's the simon to leave her alone. But here it says, Vatipa lefnei So he basically gives her the whole sharvit, so she should be able to hold on to it and stand up. It's not just a simon of permission, a symbolic simon, here, I'm here, don't kill her. This is a whole different experience. She's already by him. It's not even about Rishus. She's already in his chamber. She's by him. She's talking to him. She's crying to him. But she's on the ground. So that's Mepashtus. It, it was a different concept. That's al peep shot. Here, of course, the mimer is going to discuss it. Alderech Hanister on a deeper spiritual level metaphysical and psychological level. Another thing we have to understand is what is this concept every time? In other words, you have a big site. There's no story in Torah that is not timeless. If it doesn't have timeless relevance, then you don't understand fully the story. So every concept in Torah has timeless relevance in the spiritual life of the Jew. So when we read this story, Including the differences, you have to understand how this applies to every time of history. Now you may say this is a story about Esther and Hashverish, but since it made its way into Torah, so the Yisoid, one of the Yisoidus of the Torah's Habal Shamtiv, was that every story in Torah has timeless relevance. In other words, not just the halachas are eternal; even stories are eternal, even if not the physical story, but the spiritual story. So this means that the two types of relationships between Esther and Hashverish expressed in these pesukim. Also has timeless relevance. Hine Knesses Yisrael nikras b'shem Esther. Knesses which means the gathering of Jewish souls. Knesses is the gathering kinus of Yisrael, the Jewish people. We talk about all Jews together is called Knesses Yisrael, that collective body called Knesses Yisrael nikras Esther. One of the names for Knesses Yisrael is Esther. Why? I'll shame because the pasuk says. In parashas, I will conceal and hide my face on that day. Because the face of Hashem which represents the revelation of His presence, like we say in Berchis Koyenim Yoyr Hashem Ponavelecha. He will shine His face to you. So the face really means that He... It's a concept of Oyer, of light. In the time of Golis, it's concealed in a state of Bayoimahu. The famous Gemara Mesech T'chulen. Esther Minan What's the source of Esther and Taira? The Gemara says... Hanoichi Haster Aster is Ponei What's Ponei? So He says... Pnei Hashem represents the Gili of the Shechina. The revelation of God's Divine Presence. Yoyir Hashem. Ponei Veilecha. In other words, His face is Yoyrila. <laughs> it's it's bright, it's illuminating your life. The time of Golos, the <laughs> Pnei Hashem, <clears throat> Haster Aster Ponai, is concealed. That's so why it says By that day. Kiyoy Yoim Shane is part of the concealment. Yoyim represents light, like it says in Baratha's represents the light, and the ultimate light is the light of Hashem. When that light is concealed, it's called yoyim hahu, not yoyim hazeh. Hahu is always third person, who he. In other words, it's not here; it's not in the open. When I am talking about somebody who is not present, I say he or she. If you are present, I don't say he; I say you. Yoyim hazeh means this day; it's in front of me. Yoyim hahu means that day; it's a day that is not in front of me. So, therefore. When it says byoyimahu, it represents that the yoim is in a state of who, which is concealment. Versus byoyimaze, as Chazal say, myrebetz boy, the end of tainus, boy When something is in front of you, you could point with your finger and say zeh. This is a general description. Specifically, in every Jewish soul, he until Till now we we'll were speaking about Knesset Yisra. the collective entity that we call the Jewish people, experiences a time when The Shekhinah is not revealed in its presence. But now we're speaking about individually in every Jewish soul. That the name of Esther represents the soul when the spark of the godly soul is eclipsed, it's covered up in various layers and coverings that don't allow the person to experience the Nitzutz Elikus that is in him. The Oir Hashem, the light of Hashem, does not dwell and is not revealed. What do we mean it's not revealed? It's not grasped in his mind and heart that he should be able to connect to it in a revealed way. It's there, but it's there in what he calls a state of makif. What do we mean in a state of makif? We don't mean uh, geographically that it's around him, it's around him, it's not in him, but makif basically represents something that is in you, but it's not felt. It's not internalized, it's not experienced. It's in you, but it's not part of your experience. In other words, you have no conscious relationship with it, that is what we call makif. So the oire l'ki, the divine light, is there. The nitzut's nafsheh l'kiss is present, but it's not something that is felt, and hence he's called Esther. So Esther is that term describing that particular spiritual state. So why the word nekruh ava avosu b'shem Esther? He puts in the word ava there. That's the first time he's used the word, I think, it's, I mean, the, the spark of Hashem is Esther. Where's ava after what that I means? You want to know why he puts in the word Ava, he said Nitsutz nafzehalakis because when 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 the ne- one is a result of the other. In other words, when the Nefesh Halakis, when its spark is expressed in a conscious way, so emotionally the result of that is a feeling of closeness, a feeling of attachment, a feeling of love. So the state of Esther is that the person has a Nitsutz Every person has. Every person has the divine in them. And when the divine in me is revealed, when it's consciously revealed, so then I'm in that space of self. My self is in a particular type of space. It's a space of oneness. It's a space of unity. It's a space of serenity. It's a space of love. It's a space of joy. It's a space like we say in Hoidu every morning, In his space you have confidence, and you have joy. So whenever you're in that space, there's confidence in your life, there's joy in your life, and as we see here, there's av. But sometimes I'm not there. It doesn't mean it's... it's, The the experience, the capacity is there. The fuse is there. But the fuse is not turned on. The light is off. So even though the electrical current potentially is there, but it doesn't impact my life because I didn't turn on the switch. So basically, and turning on the switch is not so easy. It's not just uh, turning on a switch. So... That fuse is not actualized, so therefore the divine identity, what's called the Nitzitz HaLakos, the divine consciousness, and the person is in a state of, it's concealed. It's concealed in a state of, but it's HaHu. It's not expressed. It's not expressed. In Zayah, this is described as the nekuda, the point, heichole, in the chamber. This is an expression of Zayah, which the Balatanya explains. A heichol represents a larger room, a chamber. A nekuda is a seminal point that doesn't have expansion. It's not expanded, not in its length, and not in its breadth, and not in its depth. You have sometimes that the avatah Hashem is a nekuda It's there, and it's there in its core, and it's there in its full power, but it's not developed. It's not mature. It's not impactful. It's not influential. Because it doesn't expand in the heart of the human being. Never doubt that in the in the core of the heart, this love is embedded and concealed in every Jewish soul. This is a halacha. The a psak halacha. There is no human being who does not possess this It Doesn't exist. In other words, if you make this verdict about somebody, it's because you're clueless. You don't know. And if you make this verdict about yourself, you erst clueless. Even the person who says. I don't have it. It's not me. That's not possible. He says, this Ava is deeply embedded in every person. Even if he may not feel it, it's clear that this actually exists and there's nothing the person can do to banish it, to destroy it, to eliminate it. To say a psak din on a person that he doesn't have it, this is simply the antithesis of truth. That's the Yesoi. That's where you start. To extract it from concealment to revelation, this is already not identical by every person. This is very different. How it comes out, when it comes out, what its ramifications are, what it takes for it to come out. And therefore, in the days of Mashiach. When the refinement of the human being will be full, as I will be fully realized, as <laughs> the pasuk says in Yeshaya Perikmet, the glory of God will be revealed, and all the flesh will see. For Amar, the pasuk also says in Yeshaya. What this means is The light of Hashem will be revealed until it becomes grasped and established even in the mind and even in the human intellect. All flesh will see, in other words, the same way that we could see physical, material reality which is Re'iyah gashmis? it's physical vision, and Re'iyah Chushis. Chushis means literally with your chushar it's very real, it's very practical, the same type of Re'iyah we will be able to apply to our own inner godliness. Why? Not because it will be created then, but basically everything will be transparent. So who you really are will really emerge. Your powerful goodness and holiness will emerge. Sometimes people are afraid of Mashiach's coming because all their evil is going to come out. But what Dr. Rebbe says is the exact opposite. When Mashiach comes, your true good will come out. So you have nothing to worry about. If the you were evil, so then you have to worry about it, because all the skeletons will be exposed. But if it will basically what will be exposed is that all the skeletons were only there because you didn't know who you really are. So then when you really know who you are is the Khamachaya, so then you can celebrate, you don't have to be afraid. So that's what he says, Basar, what's present virochal That it's not the spiritual eye that's going to see. It's the physical eye that's going to see. In other words, the reality is going to be so vivid. Basar, the Basar, the flesh will be able to see it. That's how real it's going to be. Even the Seichel anushi, human intellect, which is not Seichel human intellect, will be able to grasp it. <laughs> Why will that happen? That's what the second puzzle says. Hine aleikeinu zeh asher lozeh kivinu loy v'loy That's up in the passage. V'omra b'yoy mahu, instead of the b'yoy mahu, Hine, the hu was was replaced with aleikeinu Marabet's Maribetz b'yoy v'oy mezah v'loy That's the v'omra b'yoy mahu heine lekeinu That's the Kiddush of Mashiach. But that's only a revelation of what always exists by Pneumius in every soul. Even in a state of Esther, which is a So this means that in every person there's a state of consciousness where you're one with God. Not only you're one, you are. There is a nitzitz It's a nitzitz of godliness in the person. Mitsad that there is avas Hashem. Mitzat that there is the oir of Hashem. The light. Mitsad that there is the unity of Hashem. There is that space in the person where when I, so to speak, open myself up to that part in me, my reality is in a different, I'm in a different zone. I'm in a zone, it's, it's, it's like, it's dveikos, it's a divine zone. What's, what do we mean it's a divine zone? The person experiences himself or herself in a particular fashion. So issues that were very powerful when that was concealed become completely irrelevant because you were not in that space. And the moment you feel that aspect of you, so then you're a different person. Not because you became a different person, so to speak, a different personality, because who you are emerges in its full splendor, in its full glory. And nobody should ever doubt that they have that space in them of absolute oneness with the divine, therefore of absolute well-being, of absolute serenity, of absolute confidence, of absolute love and of absolute joy, because it's always there. The question is if it's Hester or not Hester if it's Esther or not but that, that's not. there's never a question if it's there the question is if it's a Nekuda or the Nekuda is fleshed out in a more expansive and experiential experiential way now the Chazal said the It's a very fascinating. My mechazal, that all the holidays when Mashiach comes will be nullified. That's what it says in Medrash Mishlei, and the Rambam brings it. The Rambam also brings it in uh, in his halachas that all the mayadim are going to be tailor, besides Purim. Why? Because it says in the Megillah. That the days of Purim, it's commemoration la yosuf mizara. This is the end, close to the end, tests. it will never go away from the children. This means that what happens, Purim, is similar to what happens when Mashiach comes, and that's why when Mashiach comes, Purim will still be celebrated. All the other holidays are a prelude to the Gula. Once the Gula comes, they become irrelevant. What spread to become? When you say kolam it doesn't mean that there won't be any more Pesach, a Shavuos, a sukkas, we don't say Mitzvahs, the Mitzvahs are not nullified, it means, Shrage mayahani. the Gemara says, if you light a candle in the middle of the day, you don't notice the candle, not because it's not burning, but because the intense light of the day eclipses the power of the candle. You light a candle at night, oh, it's significant. In the time of the Geula, the light of the Yamim Toivim, won't occupy that significance, that energy, because of the intense light <coughs> of Laosid Lava. So when you say Purim won't be nullified, what's Pshat? So, it what means that sure. Purim's light is For such science. a powerful light that in the light of Mashiach, it still retains its full presence and it contributes something. Gamram Ruchazal, Razal also said, Einem So Yerushalmi Mesechtem Megillah, also the Rambam brings it, Halachas will not be nullified, La Ased Two things. We have Purim won't be nullified and Halachas of Torah won't be No Halacha will be nullified. Here is the question. How could you say that Purim is higher than Shabbos, Yom Tiv, Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur will be bottled. Rosh Hashanah will be bottled. Sukkot, Pesach, Shavu. First of all, these are biblical Yom They're not rabbinic. Purim is not a biblical holiday. It was created by the Chazal in the time of Purim. This is already after the Khurban Bay Rishon, before Bayis sheni. so you can't even compare it. It's not a holiday from Hashem; it's a holiday that was created by the Jewish people. Besides the fact, you can't even compare Purim to other Yom in terms of all the halachas. There's no iser matter it's, it's not a regular Yom Tov. Nonetheless, we see something by Purim that is so different that it's the only one that's not going to be bought the loss at What's pshat? Yeah. Shabbos is also halacha. <laughs> so That's a good question. If you say halacha sanad p'teilim, yamim toivim and Shabbos are halachas. That's why I explained that when you say p'teilim, it doesn't mean that there it won't the be language. a mitzvah of matzah, there won't be a mitzvah of Pesach. It means, like the oir of the asid it will be like, uh, it won't occupy significance. Yeah, You're people. right. The halacha aspect won't be bottled. <laughs> The halacha aspect of Yom Tov won't be bottled. You're right. The halacha of it won't be bottled. We have to understand what that means. The oil will be as strong as... In the halacha. The halacha of it. The halacha of it, yeah. It says, For Indian who the Indian is, kihine hine inyen shabbas is v'yamim toivim aliyah sa'olimus. What happens on Shabbos and Yom Tov is that there are aliyah sa'olimus, which means the worlds go up. What do we mean the worlds go up? We had in the previous Mayim in B'Shalach, the term a few times, Elias when you say space in physicality, so you have the first floor, you have the second floor, you have the third floor, the different spaces. You have this space, you have that space. When you speak about spiritual space, you're not talking about physical space, you're talking about a space of consciousness, a way of looking at reality. You'll say, I'm not in the right space now. It doesn't mean you're not in the right space. You mean you're not in the right mindset. You're not in the right frame emotional of huh? frame, frame of, of mind. Makai means madrega. It's, it's basically a certain level. I'm not in the space that I could listen to you, right? Or I'm in the right space now. It's a particular type of Makai. So when you say Aliyah from one place to another place, you're not talking about Aliyah physically. You're talking about Aliyah from one state of consciousness, from one mind frame to another mind frame. Every world has its space. Its space. Every person has his space. Ein lecha adam, Everything has its space. This is your space, and it's your real space. This is where you belong. Aliyah sa'olamus means there are certain moments in life when you go out of your space and you ascend into a different makam. So basically, there's a change of consciousness, or at least a possibility for a change of consciousness, where certain things that you couldn't experience before, you could now experience because you're in a different space. And of course, in life, we're never in the same space. There's always changes, sometimes aliyas, sometimes you But Shabbos and Yom Tov generally is a time when there's aliyas Sailamas. So Shabbos and Yom Tif is not a date. Shabbos and Yom Tif is a state of consciousness. Of course, it's a date. But it's a particular date when there's an opportunity for Aliyah ha'olemas. That's pshat, you're, sh- you're experiencing Shabbos, you're experiencing yom Tif. My makam is a different makam. that's what he says. shabbas It's not just the aliyas of o'olemas, it's also the aliyah of nitzutsus, the sparks. What do we mean? Shekol nitzuts nishmas Every spark of every neshama of every Jew ascends a madrege, ascends a level because of the light of Hashem that is expressed and revealed during those times. In every soul, there is added light, joy, and jubilation. Chedva, chedva means celebration. Oyre simcha and chedva lahalit hanir shamus la'dovka ba yisparach bi ssa's. Lahalit means to To uh. To fire up. To fire up the souls to connect with Hashem with more intensity. Now, for this, of course, you have to feel your soul. You might say, Pesach comes, Fuas comes, Shabbos comes, Yom Tov comes. Nobody's fired up. I'm not fired up. Yeah. This is not you make believe you're fired up, this is an internal experience. But he says that there's a certain light of Hashem that is expressed during these periods of the year, that the neshama has antennas and it right away senses it. The neshama has it it senses it and it gets fired up, it gets ablazed. What does it get fired up? He says, More light, more simcha, more happiness, and more chedva, more joy. Light, light is perspective, you have vision. Whenever you have vision, you have more joy, you have more celebration. So the Neshama gets fired up. Why? Because there's an Oir Hashem that gets revealed. Kevayachal, it's, it's a real change. It's not a Yom Te day on the calendar. We don't eat chametz. we only eat uh, lady fingers, we squeeze orange juice, whatever it is, kol chad from shiru delay, whatever you do, you go to a hotel. How do you capture, <laughs> do you capture, do you capture this? karma Huh? The Zaman is going. That's pshat zman grama. Zman grama means the zman. It's that's not some a, a psychological thing. You know, it's vacation. It's yom tif. Uh, okay, I don't know our yom tif. not mamish vacation. I don't know what to be called Pesach vacation. But the point is, it's just a demarcation in the calendar where we do different things. You feel no. Like Friday afternoon. You feel like the, the pshat evening. is that there's an oir hashem amesgal There's a new <speaking> oir that comes into the cosmos. There's an <speaking> oir. There's an energy that comes into the universe, and it fires up. The neshama feels it. The neshama gets fired up from it. Therefore, there's an aliyas and there's an aliyas ha'netsutsus. The sparks also go up a space. It's a different mindset. It's a different frame. Because you see something that you didn't see, you experience something that you didn't experience. Generally, what changes our mind frames, our, our mindsets, our perspectives is when we are privy to new information, but it's not just information, to new wisdom, to a new experience. When you get to see something in a different way, so then you can't remain apathetic. So whenever there's a yomtiv, there's some energy that comes in that's different. And because of that, it changes the internal dynamics of the person. I think I once told you a word from the Teferi Shloima. Yeah, the Rodomsky Rebbe. Ah, <laughs> huh? Yeah. He says that uh, all tovim and chumash are called mikra'ay koidish, always. Mikra Kaidish yilachem. Eila de Hashem mikra'ay koidish. Mikra its its one of those words you know you see in Chumash all the time, but it's like a calling of holiness. Okay, fine. Nobody says okay, a calling of holiness is coming. Pesach is coming. You're not ready. you a calling of holiness. Mikra That's always the definition of a Tov. It's a nicer way to say that yamtav is coming. Yeah, a calling of holiness. Oh, try a calling of holiness. let's So he says the first Shleimer says. Very similar of art. Basically, this idea brings out a beautiful illustration that there was a king who was once traveling, and of course with his entire entourage, and they packed up, and they traveling. was a long journey from one city to another city, one country to another country. One thing they forgot to take. You know, you pack up and you have everything. They took the, they took the spare ribs, they took the cold cuts, they took the mustard, they took the sauerkraut, they even took the ketchup. You were Jewish? Huh? that's a good question that's a good question ok they took the tofu and the soybeans and uh, they forgot to take water so middle of the journey the prince turns to the king and he says father I'm thirsty oh there's no water and they're stuck in the wilderness and they're looking at the water there's no mayim so the king right away summons his top advisors the prince is thirsty How long will it take to get to water? They say, it's very, very far. There's no yeshuv, there's no makim, there's no place where people live, there's no water. He says, if you take the best horses that we have, you take the fastest riders, how far? They told him it's six hours every direction. If we go with the fastest horses, the best riders, it goes six hours, we'll get water. Come back six hours, it's 12 hours, we'll have water. And the other option, the king says. So the second option is to dig. You dig, you dig deep enough, it will be water. So, how long will that take? The expert said 12 hours. If we dig, it'll be 12 hours. So which one do you do? So the king said, let's dig. Let's dig and discover the water here. Why? He says, if we bring the water from elsewhere, the prince will have water. He'll have to wait, but he'll have water. But one day he may come to the same place again. But he won't have his father, he won't have his mother, he won't have the entourage, he'll be here alone. Where is he going to get water then? Well. If we can reveal the source of water right here, whenever he comes back to this place, there will always be water. So one of the Chachamim says, Bishleim, if he comes back in a month, if he comes back in a year. But you understand that if he ends up here in 30, 40 years, there won't be any sign of the well. It's not like somebody is nurturing and guarding the well. And it's going to be covered up with dirt, with sand, with snow, with ice, with debris, with filth, with gravel, with stones. So the king said, that's why we're going to put a sign. And we're going to put a sign that here there is a well. So when my child comes, he will know that if he takes a shovel, or he gets down on his knees and he starts digging and removing away the filth and the dirt, he will be able to find a source of water the uh, You had the first Pesach, was Yitzias Mitzrayim. The first Shavuos was Matan Torah. The first Sukkot was Besukkot Aishavti. The first Hanukkah was Hanukkah. The first Purim was Purim. The first Shabbos was Shabbos. So the water was flowing. The water, the vibes, the energy, the inspiration was flowing. But the king says, I don't want to bring water from somewhere else. Because then... He won't have the access to the water. I want that the child should forever have access to the water. Hence, the concept of Shabbos and Yom Tef. Just like there are wells in space, there are well springs in time. There are certain moments that contain the capacity to find water, but they come and they say it's going to get covered up. Pesach, you are not going to see anything. They're not going to be water spitzing on you. The well won't be flowing in a living, vibrant, revealed way. So that's why Yom Tiff is called Mikra Kodesh. A calling, a sign. A sign literally is Mikra. You read it, right? Mikra Kodesh. What Yom Tevim are basically, they are sign. The sign says, here, there is a spring of water. You're going to have to take a shovel and dig. But you should just know Mikra Kodesh. It calls. It's a calling of holiness. It calls out and it says, here you have inspiration. If you dig, you will discover the water. You won't have to bring water from anywhere else. And the water is available here. It may be covered with dirt, but it's available. And when you uncover it, you'll be able to find it. So that's why in every one of these periods of time, there's basically an opportunity to be able to dig. If you don't dig, you don't dig. You're left with a sign. (laughs) You just say, Mikra Kodesh, Mikra Kodesh, Mancheh Senus, says man 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 you say Yalav yavah. if you forget, you say it again, fine. Mikra Kodesh. When the Baal was in Mezhebush, so you know, he, there were people who opposed him pretty intensely. And the rumor was that he doesn't know how to learn. Yeah, the does know how to learn. So there were a few uh, so-called, uh, whatever, there were rabbis over there who believed, who drank the Kool-Aid and believed what they said about the Baal they heard, they pushed it, hurt. he's like a peasant, Mama's a real Amaretz. So they started to test him. So what are you going to test an Amaretz on? What are you going to start asking him about? It's a complicated sugya in Tukvei So they asked him, who was Rishchidosh? They said, what's the halacha if you forget Rish Rishchidosh at night? By mind, if you forget Yalaviyavoy, what's the halacha? They wanted to see if Epis, he has Epis shaikh simply to, you know, olive base. Olive base. V'al Shem looked, and he said, I'll say it in Yiddish, and then I'll translate. He says, V'as is Negeya? Ich fagessen afilu Un fagessen zweite He says, what's the relevance? I won't forget Yala ve'yavoyan Rish Chodesh even the first time. And you, you'll forget even the second time. When you'll repeat it, you'll also forget Yala ve'yavoyan <laughs> so, but I'm not going to forget Yalav Yalva and Rishchidosh. What's the Havana? Is, is Rishchidosh from inside out or from outside in? You understand Rishchidosh is outside in. Yalav okay, Yalva, he's a din. You forget Yalav If Rishchidosh is from inside out, right, you usually don't forget the day of your wedding, at least that year. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> at least hopefully, hopefully. Let's hope you don't forget the day of your wedding that year. Right, that year. Next year, okay. Based on what happens, what do they say? <coughs> How do you make sure you don't forget your anniversary? You forget it, it once, once, right? Okay, but uh, but that year you don't forget it. So again, if Rishchaydish is from the outside, you can yalavi yeah, yalavi yovei But if you think about it, you ever a bit? You forget yalavi by shachus, not by ma'ir You have to repeat the hoshmenes. You forget something by benching that you had to mention. You have to repeat the holy. You're holding already Sim shalom. It's hard enough for you to daven once, you know, with your ADD. It's hard enough for you to concentrate for 45 seconds once. Now you have to start all over again. So we look at it as Hashem is listening to your davening. This guy forgot Yalav Oh my God, this is no good. I want you to start over again. There are 60 million Jews. Hopefully everybody is davening. Okay, not everybody. Many. They all said Yalav No One guy, Chaim Yankul, he didn't say it's No, it's worthless. But what does this tell you? It tells you the depth of the relationship. You spent time with your wife on her birthday and you wouldn't even mention, Mazel there's a pain, there's a void. God says, it's Rishchodesh today. It's There's something happening. There's something deep about our relationship. I'm crazy about you. You can't ignore it. All these halachas are really very romantic halachas. People don't realize. They're very emotional halachas. It's like you really believe that God cares. if I forgot the yalav, yalav. I didn't say Zizhachar I reminded myself four minutes later. No! But it, it represents the relationship. That's the point. It's not a pistam, uh, a small thing. So again, from an outside-in perspective... It's just a law. You have to say yalav yalav. from an internal experience the halachas are always expressive of a deeper truth. It's again back to the nigla and the nister you know. There's the outside and then there's the inside. So therefore from the inside what happens is it's mikra kodesh. It's pointing and saying here there's an opportunity. If you'll dig you'll find the earth. Okay so we'll continue. Page 187. The first column. Megillah Sester it says on the top. second paragraph starts v'hine, we learned a few lines over there, we're holding at the line that starts v'yeser se'es. The second paragraph on the page is v'hine, so you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven lines into the paragraph v'hine u'be protos specifically. He said Shabbos and Yom Tovim are the time, all Shabbos all and all festivals, what we call good days, Yom Tovim, are not just... Demarcations on the calendar when there are certain rituals or customs or mitzvahs that are committed or performed, but rather there's what's processed that's called aliyah sa'ilamus and aliyah sa'netzutzus, where the worlds ascend and the sparks ascend, meaning doors of perception are cleansed, deeper experiences and perceptions are internalized. And therefore, one goes up. What does it mean, one goes up? Metaphorically speaking, it means that one is opened up to a new awareness or a new reality or a new energy or a new sense of perception. And that, of course, creates a different experience. So he says, on Shabbos and Yom the antennas, the internal antennas of the soul, every spark of every soul, so to speak, ascends a step. Mish'ala Madrega, it goes up a level because... There's an energy that is expressed in the world during those times and it increases the light and the joy and the sense of jubilation and celebration in the soul. It gets fired up for a deeper sense of relationship and a deeper sense of intimacy. Of course, like in everything in life, a person could be plugged. I could hear, there could be beautiful music playing, but I plug my ear and I don't hear the music. It could be beautiful pieces of art, but I... uh, you know, I blindfold myself and I don't see it, so a person often has to work on opening up their senses. But when they open up their senses, they're not opening it up to only an imaginary experience within their own imagination, but to a reality that vibrates in the cosmos during different periods of the year. Or protis more specifically, pesach. every yomtiv has a unique energy that comes out there. Is basically a unique opportunity. So he says, for example, Pesach, In the core of souls, what they experience is an explosion of love. On the light of Ava, which is chesed, which is divine grace, divine love, divine kindness. Where does it get? In the internal dimension of the soul. Now the soul could feel a special grace, a special radiance of love and affection. That's what's Pesach. When the soul is sensitive to this, when the soul experiences it, it fires up. What is the feeling that you have when you experience yourself being loved? What type of experience is it? Now the truth is, if you ask yourself, do you know that experience? What does it feel like to be loved? Did you, did I, did we ever feel that feeling of being Truly loved, not only somebody saying it superficially, but really feeling the experience of it. I'm not saying listening to the words, but feeling it. What does it sound? What does it feel like when you experience that? Ahava. It does something to a person. It changes you. Changes you forever. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't even know what that experience really feels like. We say every morning, "Ahavas olam, ahavtano, Hashem or some say, "Ahava <speaking in Hebrew> Later we say, or at night we say, to really be able to sit and breathe in, take in that love, to be able to experience that I am loved. I am truly, truly loved and loved unconditionally. What does that look like? What does that look like for you? Some people don't even know what it is. It's like, okay, another word, I'm loved. Fine, I'm loved. It's like you could have said, I'm hated if it's the same price. It's, just, it's a word, but the experience of it, when the soul feels that love, everything changes. It's a different reality, when you could feel it. And this doesn't have to do with words. I could say, I love you, you know, people tell their children or other people, I love you, I love you, I love you. But do they ever feel it? Do they ever actually experience it in, inside? Right in, the belly. in the belly, right? So he says, Once you feel loved, it changes the dynamic. So all Jewish souls, the line starts, As a result of this, all the sparks of the souls are elevated to arouse within themselves a reciprocal love which propels them to reject all that which prevents and obliterates the love. All those things that are contrary to an experience of love. All cravings, addictions to a material reality that is divorced of your internal meaning of life, They're motivated to subdue the component of sitrachere in them, which means all the shells and the husks that eclipse the love. There's nothing like love to be able to inspire a person and say, I will not allow anything to get into my life which obstructs the love, which alienates the love, which separates me from you. There are things that I may do or I may say, that separate the love. So if I'm not feeling the love, I go to those places because I need another source of fulfillment. I need another source of inspiration. When the love life, when the relationship of love is fully fueled and fully functional, wow. then not only do you not run to other places, you eliminate the other sources of satisfaction because they are go- they might compromise, they might dilute, they might get in between the love. And therefore you don't want that. You will go away from everything. You will reject everything that will obstruct that love. That's why the theme of Pesach, as we say, the Pesach says, in the Hoidu HaGadol that we say at the end of the Seder, many say Shabbos morning, So on a literal interpretation, it means the one who strikes the Egyptians through their own oldest males for his kindness is everlasting. And this refers, of course, to the story that before the exodus of Egypt, the oldest of Mitzrayim, the first male-borns, came to Pari and said, we're all going to die and let the Jews go. And he refused, and they got into a whole war. It's one of the reasons for the celebration of Shabbos HaGadol, the Shabbos before Pesach. L'make <laughs> Mitzrayim He struck Egypt through the Egyptians themselves. But he teaches here on a deeper level. In order for there to shine in the world, the for the world to experience his Chesed, you first have to have the courage to strike down the B'chayim of Mitzrayim. The B'chayim of Mitzrayim represents the aristocrats, the royalty of Egypt, which in spiritual life represents in each person those elements of Mitzrayim, those elements of Egypt, which become p'choy Mitzrayim, they're very powerful, they're senior, the senior citizens and they take prominence in order to be able to experience the lo'olam chazdoi. You cannot experience love if of that person, for example, who's loving you, if half of your day you're doing things that undermine the love. You won't be able to feel it. In other words, it creates an obstruction. You have to open yourself up to experiences and you have to cleanse yourself in order to be able to experience things. So in order to be able to experience a real love that God has to me, I have to be able to open myself up to it. If I'm filled with p'chari Mitzraim with toxicity, I won't be able to experience it because I'm blocked. My uh, my body is blocked. My soul is blocked. So for the lo'olam chazdi, you need lo'make of v'chereim. Moshe Kassov, on this there's a pasuk in The Pasuk in Shehachidim describes the following scenario. This is a very uh, poetic pasuk in the Song of Songs. So those who here who say Shehashidim frequently, perhaps Friday or other times, you're very well familiar with the pasuk, which he's going to analyze now at length. If you don't say Hashidim, so you'll become familiar with the pasuk. The pasuk is as follows: In Hashidim Peirik Beis, I'll read it for you. Chapter 2, the Song of Songs, Pasuk He and Pasuk Vav. Pasuk, uh, well, well uh, the, the, the concept is, Perek Gimel of Hashinim describes, he says, On my mattress, on my bed at night, I was looking for the one I love. I was searching for him. This is the woman, the bride, the bride. The beloved woman says, I'm looking for the one I love. I search and search and I can't find him. I travel through the city. I go in the marketplaces. I go in the streets. I search for the one I love. I search. I can't find him. The guards of the city who surround the city, I find them. I say, did you see the one whom I love? Did you see the one whom I love? And I almost leave them and I find the one whom I love. I hold on to him. I won't let him go until I bring him to the home of my mother and to the chamber of my home. Now from metaphor he goes into I made us I made you swear, daughters of Yerushalayim, don't let him don't let go of the love. Now comes the next Possek yes, uh, English translation may help, right? Huh? Shehashidim Beis Pasuk Vav. I'm sorry. Gimel Pasuk Vav. Gimel. Chapter 3, verse 6. I'll just translate it into English. Uh, they have here already the metaphors. In some editions, they don't translate yeah. Shehashidim literally. So you can't get a translation. I think they say in the introduction, that they're, they're using Rashi as their what their translation mm-hmm. is, because they don't want to translate literally. I think they say that They keep it very loose. Huh? They keep it very loose. Okay, I'm going to translate literally, okay, because <laughs> that's what Shleim HaMelech wrote. Okay. They say there was a Jew in Warsaw, Yankel Rosenberg, who translated uh, Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare into Yiddish. So he wrote on the title page, he wrote, Romeo and Juliet from William Shakespeare. Ibegezetztumfabeset urech Yanko Rosenberg. Translated and enhanced by <laughs> Yanko Rosenberg. <laughs> so Shleim Melech says, Mi'zois oylem in is this ascending from the desert? Like pillars of smoke. Mikuteres. Burning, fragrant, moir, mirth, olavoyna, frankincense, m'chol av kas of all of the perfumers powders. Who is this coming up from the desert? Looks like, basically, pillars of smoke, full of k'toiris, which is burning, fragrant. Moir is a type of uh, incense, which is fragrant. It's actually deer musk, right? I think Moir is deer musk, which is one of the most expensive sources of fragrance olivoyness, frankincense mekoil afkas reichel reichel is basically a perfumer mekoil afkas powder all the powders of somebody who's into perfumes, all the powders that they create in order to do these perfume to make these perfumes who is this coming up from the desert with pillars of smoke uh, smelling with this type of fragrance this is how the love is being described in Shir what is the meaning of this the Balatanya here goes out on a limb on this Pasek. He says as follows. K'ma shakasav mi zaysaylam asham. from the word kteres, moir ulevayna afkas reichel, from all of the powders of the perfumer. He says, The Pshat is pirush, knesses yisrael, nikra zays. Knesses yisrael is often described as days, in the feminine. Mizois is referring to the Jewish soul. The first thing is she ascends from the desert. What does it mean she ascends? Midbar, the desert, represents a place of shmama, means a place of desolateness. There's no civilization there. It's not, it's not a, it's a place that's infertile for life. So, she has the courage to be able to come up from a place that is not civilized, a place of desolateness, which is basically when you're involved in the physical life, when it's divorced from its spiritual core, when it's divorced from the divine. midbar She also has the courage to come up from a state of midbar. So midbar means two things, literally a desert, but also comes from the word of dibur, types of words that are inconstructive, that are not constructive, they're idle, dvarim which is what makes them a midbar. You have words that build... You have words that create a Yishuv, they create something. What's the definition of Dvarim Betelim? It's desolate words. It's like a Midbar, in the sense that there's nothing coming out of it. It's just, it's rubbish, it's nonsense. So the first steps in life a person has to examine to be able to come up is, first of all, what type of conversation they're involved in during the day. person who spends 20 minutes or half an hour, an hour, two, three hours, talking about nothing, Dvarim Betelim, talk about nothing, it's immediately inconducive. For any meaningful way of life. It's just, you know, just idle, idle talk and conversation. Even if it's not bad. It's just Dvarim B'Taelim. There's nothing being built from it. There's no depth to it. There's no meaning to it. There's no wisdom to it. Yeah. What do they say? Great people talk about ideas and ordinary people talk about things and small people talk about other people. And then smaller people don't even talk about other people. They just talk about nothing. Dvarim b'te'lum. So he says that's another element of midbar. When it comes especially on Shabbos and Yamtiv. When there's a certain energy in the world, so she comes up from that space Kisimris ashan. you know what the soul looks like? It looks like a pillar of smoke. why Ashan Gashmi, take a look at smoke. What creates physical smoke? You have a substance that's burning, and sometimes there's, there's always smoke, but there's more smoke, less smoke. He says Ashhan Gashmi, physical smoke in the physical sense he's The the more the fire is consuming, is burning up something that's contrary to the nature of the fire, that's what creates the smoke. The smoke is the fire burning up something that's against its nature. The moist that exists in logs or in a wick in which the fire is holding on. The amount of the smoke will always be commensurate to the excessiveness of the moistness, of the moisture that exists in that particular object. The more moisture there will be, the more smoke there will be. There will always be some lachluchis, and therefore there will be smoke. And lachluchis, moist, is of course, the uh, you you want him to talk and I'll be quiet. (laughs) The lachluchis is always the moist that is contrary to the fire. Mayim is contrary to Esh. So when the fire comes in contact with that which is opposite of the nature of the fire. So even though the fire wins, but nonetheless it's not water wet that extinguishes the flames, but nonetheless the smoke is so to speak the fact that something is being burnt up and there's a resistance and it's generated through the smoke. So the greater the smoke, the greater the sight of the ushan, then by inference, the greater was the oppositeness yes, of Yes, exactly. The, the greater the ushan, the more you had the encounter of paradox, of opposites. So he says, that's pshat. The soul comes up from the midbar, in pillars of smoke, kisimrus <laughs> 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 really arshim. Yeah, it, yeah it fought. On a simple level, the more moisture, the more smoke. The more moisture, the more smoke. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Willow trees are not good. Willow trees are not good. If you want smoke, <laughs> unless you want smoke. <laughs> When when the kids go to make the barbecues in camp, right? So they'll find a lot of, they'll fight wet wood, yeah? What does the fire look like? You know what the fire looks like. So he's going to say the nimshel. It's a very moving nimshel. When the light of Hashem is more revealed on the holy days of Shabbos and Yom Tov. So basically, it consumes that which is antithetical to the flame, to subdue the other side, and therefore the soul is up in smoke. That is the klal. Whenever I'm transforming, whenever I'm challenging something that is antithetical to the nature of the fire, it's going to produce smoke. So if the soul was not in the midbar, if the soul was initially in an elevated space, there wouldn't be simras ashram. But since it's oilam in a midbar, since the Shabbos and the Yom is extricating the soul from the state of desolateness, from the state of spiritual loss, from the state in which the soul is in a desert, what do we mean in a desert? A place that is alien to its true divine calling and purpose, and from a state of Mid-Badvarim B'telem. So therefore, it always comes in smoke. Because when I'm transforming something that's opposite of the Aishan, I'm trying to consume it, the reaction, the result will be the Simris Ash on the smoke. The Oshan Because a mountain is not really a flammable flammable substance. So Sinai is Oshan kulibash. It goes up in smoke. but then the pasa continues, not just Kasimris Oshan, Mikuteres. It's mikuteres. What's Kiter? Kiter HaKivshan. Kiter Nikra Dak. There is a thick smoke and there is a subtle smoke. It's like the smoke that comes out from mugmar. At the end of the meals, they used to burn incense, the Mishnah says in Brachas. Mugmar is the ktoiris, the incense, the spices that are burned. They also have a smoke. But it's a more subtle smoke. Because of its subtlety or its thinness, the Torah doesn't call it smoke. The Torah has a different name for it called a cloud. The cloud of the incense will cover the Holy of Holies. Now, of course, incense doesn't create a cloud. But cloud here is a metaphor for the smoke that comes from when you burn incense. Because it's not burning up something that's mamish antithetical to the fire. Real moist. Because that which the fire is catching on to doesn't contain that which is directly antithetical to the fire. Only a little bit. Still, when you want to come up from the desert, you need not only the thick smoke, which basically represents challenging the thick things in your life that obstruct you and alienate you from your divine core, but even the little things that are antithetical, (laughs) this is everybody different, everybody according to their level, and every neshama based on what it's sensitive to, based on the mile of its neshama, step after step after step, what one person is not sensitive to, for the other person is extremely sensitive, and this is not the thick smoke, this is the thin smoke, in other words, there are two different factors in life, that don't allow the person to experience the love. In order to be able to experience the love, I have to be able to have a cleansed system that allows me to experience the Ava. There's two things that don't allow me to experience it. And those two things are expressed through the smoke that I come up with when the soul comes up from the desert. Miza is Olam in Amidbar, Kisimris Ashan, step one, and then mikuteres, which is step two. Kisimras, Ashan means a heavy smoke, what you call a thick smoke, because there was a lot, a lot of moisture, that the fire had to burn up, and the resistance, the transformation results in a lot of smoke, in pillars of smoke, literally pillars of smoke. Then there is also smoke, mikuteris it's a subtle smoke, we call it a cloud, it also comes up, it's also a smoke, but over here, the fire is not encountering thick resistance, but just something that is much more subtle. And yet, depends on who your neshama is. Every person, according to who they are, they have to be able also to burn that up in order to be able to fully experience the Ava. But this is not uniform. This Every person has to know really who they are and where they are in, in life. The Gemara says in Yuma, Hei chidami Hashem. What's a chilil Hashem? He says, chilil Hashem is not the same for every person. One of the Amirayim said, I go to a store and I pay on credit. It's already, for me, it's inappropriate. If I'm a little sensitive, the, the Gemara says in Chul and Marukva said, that me, like Abba, my father, is vinegar, vinegar like wine. My father, when he ate flesheks, he used to wait 24 hours till he ate melchiks. I don't wait 24 hours. I wait a few hours till the next meal. So whatever, we have six. I mean, the Gemara doesn't give that sheer, But he waits till the next meal, usually six hours. So the Mepharshim say, really, why do you call yourself vinegar, like Abba, your father? Why don't you do what your father did? Then you won't be vinegar. You'll say, I'm one, just like my father. And the answer is, if you're doing what your father did because your father did it, then you're not doing it. Then your father is doing it. I can't do what my father did because my father did it. My, then my father is doing it. I can't wait 24 hours after fleshy. It won't be... It's like, it, it's creating a sensitivity that doesn't exist. Halachically, you don't have to wait 24 hours after fleshy. My father waited 24 hours after fleshy. I can't become something I'm not. There are certain sensitivities. This is Mikuteris, the type of ketodis you generate. This has to do, he says, with every neshama based on its madrega and every neshama based on its mylab ilia So there are the toxicities that are uniform. This uh, smoke that everybody has to create because of that resistance. And then there is, every neshama has its subtleties. What means... Something that will distract you from the relationship. What does it mean to distract you from the relationship? It's a different level of the relationship. To put it in halachic terms. In halachic terms, we spoke yesterday about Yala It's very interesting when you have the halachas of davening. Where you're allowed to interrupt. What you're allowed to interrupt for. And at what point, and how much, right? At what point of davening, you allowed to say Baruch Hu, Almost never. When do you say Amen? When could you answer Amen Yesh In middle of Shmoy there's no break for anything, not Kedusha, not Baruchu, no Amens, nothing. In middle of Krishna, in the middle of Shema, it's also stringent, But you can't compare. You can answer Amen Yesh Mere You can answer certain parts of Kedusha. You can answer a few Amens, not many, but you can answer Shema at Kela Kadosh. P'sukah de Zimra is more lenient, of course. Before Baruch Shema, you can answer everything, even Baruchu, Baruch Shmai. After Shmoy you can answer everything, etc. So what? what <laughs> Again, what is this? So people, again, see it as this is, now you can't say amen. now you could say amen. now you could say v'zayzatayin, now you can't say. But really, it's different states of a relationship. There's a state of a relationship that it's not, it's almost like the halacha is describing how a sensitive soul would instinctively respond to a, a, a certain conversation at this point of the relationship. Lamash. Certain moments in a, We're, 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 any interruption, any interruption, even Omineyesh Rabba, which is also talking about God, right, would be defecting, it would be compromising the relationship. To give an example, a chassan is standing under the chuppah. He takes the ring and he puts the ring on his collar's finger and says, Hareat Mekodashus. He's like, What? I got a text. Wait, 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 wait. And he takes out the phone. And he starts reading the text. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, it's about you. It's a text about you. It's about the rent for the house. Now, rent is important. And a house is important. But everybody understands that this is not the Pesach that's going to work, right? Huh? A chassan told me, I mean, it it ended up in a disaster. He came home from the chassan and uh, she was texting her friends, you know. For an hour after the wedding, she was busy texting her friends about the wedding. It's a beautiful thing to text your friends about the wedding. But, you know, you could wait. You could wait for the next day. It's it's a certain, it's a certain uh, disconnect. So the halacha has to tell us when we're supposed to be in that relationship. Because we experience things from outside in, not from inside out. So in one state of a relationship, some things that for somebody else doesn't matter, for this person it matters. Talk about, uh, talk about <laughs> I know a rabbi, he's a fine rabbi, so him and his wife decided after some time that they're going to start eating healthy. So they went to a nutritionist, and they got a schedule what to eat and what not to eat. And 30 days they kept to it. After 30 days they were so proud of themselves, so they decided... They're going to celebrate. How does a Jewish couple celebrate a victory of 30 days? You go to a restaurant. You go out to eat. What's called going out to eat? You're going to go to a health store to go out to eat. You're going to juice kale. They went to a kosher restaurant, and they ordered a meal, you know. A real old-time meal, uh, where the Malach HaMav sits and dwells, what we call Taya or what some of us call Shabbos and Yomtev. It's a little different than his Shabbos and and they eat. They, they eat a regular meal that they always ate, you know, the real thing. Or the fake thing, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, he, he comes home, and a whole night, him and his wife, they can't sleep. They have such stomach pains. So they, of course, blame the nutritionist. <laughs> For 30 days, he destroyed their life, and now they went back to a regular meal, and they can't deal with it. So he, he said he couldn't sleep a whole night. 6 a.m., he was so annoyed, he was so uh, in agony and misery the first opportunity, 637, he calls the nutritionist. He says, "Lamarimi Sonny, why did you deceive me? I never had these issues. I went out with my... He used to always go out. I never had these issues. So he told me, he said, the nutritionist told him, he said, you don't understand. After 30 days, you became healthy enough that your system protests. It protests the toxicity that you're feeding it with. He says, till 30 days ago, there was no protest. You were so sick. You were so detached from yourself that you didn't even know when you're damaging yourself. Now, you're not healthy yet, but you at least have, you regained the sensitivity that your stomach says there's something off, there's something wrong, which before you couldn't even know. So this tells you something. And now if this person would engage in, in, in a more healthy lifestyle, then even things that five years ago he didn't even notice, become already something that your body can't deal with. So this is not because you're, you're, you're in a worse state, it's because you're in a better state. The, the deeper state you are in, the more you're allergic to subtleties that other people wouldn't even notice. There are certain people that if they speak Lashon Hara about somebody else, they don't even notice it, they forget about it. And there are people that for a day, their serenity is, is, is obliterated because they're very sensitive to things. There's people who come into an event and they feel energy, other people don't. And you can't ignore this, because if you ignore it, you're betraying yourself. You, when you compare yourself to other people in this area, it's disastrous. Because just like you can't compare two bodies to each other, you can't compare two souls to each other. You can't compare sensitivities to each other. So that's the concept of mikuteres. There's Roy's ashan, there's the pillars of smoke, there's the brute things i got to deal with. But then there's the subtleties of a person's life in terms of Avodos Hashem. This is also smoke, but it's a different type of smoke. This is kol chad, every neshama lefi lefi be'ilu yacharilu. And there's higher and higher and higher and higher. And then there's certain people that a little tiny distortion, which for others is nothing, for them is a spiritual disaster. Not much a spiritual disaster. It's interesting on Yom Kippur which those being means that means that thing we call the call like the Kap comes to beautiful the Kapur comes to yeah the Kappar of Kippur is isitis which represents mm-hmm. even the subtle distortions you wanted to ask something um, uh, this idea of not uh, behaving in a way that's really beyond your level of sensitivity because it's not real is also used as a uh, rationalization for why I'm not going to try to behave in the proper way often uh, with regard to just the normal halachas of davening and people are going on with devouring debar- uh, debar- tailing and, 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 and disturbing the davening and uh, a person might mention it and the, and the response is those people who are davening they're pretending to be something they're not I'm real I'm, I'm where I'm at and these people who are dominating, you know, those other guys who are who are so frum and shul, they're fakers. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you're <laughs> cautioning and, us against the other extreme, And the sometimes says you don't you don't uh, you don't feel you should feel like you're standing in front of a king. Right. You don't feel it, fake it. So you're and cautioning can't, against can't, the other extreme that sometimes excessive up. honesty deprives you from the gift of challenging yourself. You just wow. settle for mediocrity. Point well taken. Thank you. Don't settle for mediocrity and use the excuse that, uh, I'm, that I'm a low person. Okay. Very good. Was that, that was my was son who compared his father to water? To wine. No, yeah. I'm vinegar, my father I'm is vinegar. wine. He waited, he waited 24 hours. He waited 24 hours. No, so wait. This is Rabbi Shlomo has a say the He says a very nice verse. It says at the end of Yisra'i, Parsha of Matan What's the last pasuk? Don't climb up to the mizbech on steps, so that your nakedness shouldn't be revealed. Rather, you go on a smooth ramp, which is the transition is more uh, gradual, more gradual. So he says, why is that the summation of the Parsha of Matan Why is that the climax of Parsha Sefer? It's like, okay, we won't use steps, we'll use a ramp. Like the whole end of Matan this is it says, so because often when people have a Matan in their life, the natural inclination is to fly up to the altar as fast as possible and to remain there. So he says, If you're going to fly up to the Mizbeach too fast and too high, after a few years you're going to wake up one morning, you're going to look in the mirror and you say, I don't know who I am. And basically you may fall into the abyss and all of your nakedness will be revealed. So you have to go on a ramp, which means you really have to challenge yourself. You must challenge yourself, as you say. But the challenge has to be, I have to challenge myself. I cannot challenge you. That is, I have to challenge myself. I have to grow. And whenever I grow, I need to grow in a way that I'm, I'm real, I'm honest to who I am and to who I'm not. Learn from other people, but never copy other people. If you copy other people, then ultimately the alias remain alien to who you really are and You know, somebody once told me, it was sad to hear, it was a woman, she she grew up in a secular home, she became a balas tshuva, she returned to Yiddishkeit. I guess some people mentored her, maybe not in the most uh, effective way. And she tells me that uh, ten years later, she says, I woke up one morning, and I looked in the mirror, and the person I saw was not the person I ever knew. I became a different person, I was not the person, and I, I miss, I miss me. So you can never, gu- it's a very big mistake to guide somebody to become something in which they lose their, their uniqueness, their personality, their contributions, their talents, their resources. In fact, it's contrary to uh, what God wants. So therefore, it's important to grow, but the growth always has to be, sometimes you take leaps, but the leaps have to be leaps that challenge me to become what I'm capable of becoming. So each soul has its own Simris Ashan and its own K'tairis based on its own relationship with the soul and its relationship with Hashem. Next, <laughs> From K'tairis you come to Meir. This the Megillah describes, and let's face it, it's quite one of the interesting scenes in the Megillah to figure out exactly what Achashveresh was into. So the Megillah describes all the women that would come to Achashverosh as he was searching for, as he was searching for his new queen. So what does it say in the Megillah? It says, "I'm just going to read the pasuk." Mar- no, he was just discussing. No, he was just ashan And then what's one level? Mikutaris is the second level. Then you have Mor is the next one. So what happens by Mor? So it says that Achashvarish was summoning all the women, and all the women who came to Khashverish had to be perfumed. Uh so says he says, what does the Megillah say? Night of a Let's just read it Pasik. Every the Night of Every young woman who came to see the king of in his selection process of a queen, she had to spend twelve months. You remember the Megillah? Twelve months. 12 months before she came to see the king. What did she do for 12 months? It took 12 months for the perfume that they placed on this young woman to be effective. Six months with the fragrant oil called myrrh and six months with psalmim, with various incestes, and other perfumes And other perfumes of women. And then she comes to the king. And the Megillah gets very detailed about this process. If you were not six months with Meir and six months with other perfumes, you don't come to the king. You come at night, you go back home in the morning, a whole day you're perfuming yourself, at night you come again. She asked for nothing, etc. The whole Megillah by the Balatanya, as it says in Svarim, is a metaphor. It's also a metaphor, so he says this is the next level of more. And here you come to the Megillah. Ubaagia tor night of a night of love. So here we. Taitches. Shekol Shikol Yisrael. He mebchines nukva legabaya kadosh baruchu lalas v'liros ba'ur shem koleched l'fi madrigosa. Ubaagia tor night of a night. There was a tor, like we say in English, uh, a queue. Q, yeah there's the time, there's the period that every Nara has, this is the date that's given to you so he says Nara represents every soul which is like the feminine the Nara, the feminine uh, spouse or, 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 or potential spouse of Hashem every soul is Babchinis nukva, every spark is b'chinnis nukva the feminine searches for a very deep and wholesome relationship that it receives from the masculine so de de yala every nitzutz has its time that it's allowed to come in and to experience the light of Hashem. There's no nitzutz that doesn't have its moment, that doesn't have its time. It can happen once in ten years. There's a lot of women on Nachashverish's list. It can happen once in a very long time, or it can happen in shorter periods. But there's a moment when every nitzutz comes into the king. But what happens when you come into the king? If you didn't prepare, so then you come in, you feel a moment of unity, of inspiration, of light, but because you didn't do anything in advance, so you go away with nothing. There's nothing that endures, there's nothing that's maintained. If, however, there was shisha chadasha bashem and amar, you perfumed yourself, then when the naira comes into the malech, it's already a whole different experience. So comes up. So the, inter- the introduction is mm-hmm. six months in the oil of myrrh. In the oil of the myrrh. He translates here myrrh as myrrh. Uh... Okay, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's from a thorn bush in um, Africa. It's from a thorn bush in Africa? Yeah. Okay. Because by the Keturus it says myrrh <laughs> It's brought in brach is that it's musk that comes from a famous deer called deer musk. Today they do replicas of it, but the original is exp- extremely expensive. Dam Chaya Yadua, Shenikrash, it's blood that congealed in a musk deer, and it's a tremendous fragrance. So I don't know exactly what your interpretation you're referring to, but fine. Right. Myrrh, Myr, if you look it up, M-Y-R-R-A. So okay, up, so they translate right. this myrrh. Okay, so, that let's do, so you're saying myrrh is the bush. Myrrh is the bush, yeah. This okay. is ter- most of Durham's uh, translated. Oh, okay, so I it's I the know. oil that comes. No, there's two interpretations of myrrh. Either it's from an animal, or it's actually from a bush <laughs> called myrrh. So he says, <laughs> Shemen is chachm. The Gemara says in Menachus that in Tokoah there was a lot of chachm because it's a place of oil. Oil represents wisdom. Shisha chadashim, you have to have the wisdom to be able to be in a state of mar, to be able to be in a state of meriris. What's the wisdom of this? What's the wisdom to be in a state of meriris? Meriris here doesn't mean mer, bitter. Mer here means the wisdom to be able to be frustrated by certain things. and amidbar. The moment you come up from the desert or and you crumble. Umafrid and you separate the ra, the negativity. Liyiskol v'nisrav ba'oshen v'kitter to be burnt up both in the thick, thick smoke and the subtle smoke. As a yaskil hatev imyan hamirirus menahepch eichomahu. Then you'll finally reach the shemen hamor, the chachma of mirirus menahepch to be frustrated from the opposite. How and what? The great gift is to be able to be frustrated by every lie in your life. But in order to be able to be frustrated by every lie in your life, you have to be able to identify what is the lie. Before I identify what's the lie, then I tolerate it, I embrace it. Once you're oilam mina midbar, and you generated the smoke, and you generated not only the thick smoke that burnt up the real toxicity, but even the subtle smoke that burnt up the subtle distortions what we call the white lies, the subtleties, the things that maybe for others are not big, but for you they become very big. Now you can have the Shemin and the shisha HaChadash HaB'Shem and Hamor, the wisdom of knowing what to be frustrated by and what not to be, what to accept as natural and what to make a protest against in your own mind, say, no, this is, I'm allergic to this. The ability to know what you're allergic to that's a gift. That's a gift. Because what often happens is, what happens often in life is we try to fit in, and when you try to fit in, what do you do? You sell yourself. You sell yourself short because you try to fit in, and you think is the Meshugana. The worst thing is when you blame yourself for things that you can't blame yourself for. Because no, this is what your neshama needs. This is who you are. This is who you're not. The greatest strength is knowing your weakness. The greatest strength is knowing your knowing your weakness. Yes. Yes. Ah, once you went to mor, once you're frustrated, now you can have levoina. Levoina is like we say mora levoina. Now you could really begin to celebrate. As long as you did not bring the smoke in, you won't be able to celebrate. There's too many things obstructing the celebration. You're going to need distractions, not celebration. The moment then you have the smoke, and you have the Chachm of Shem and Amar, now you can have the Lavoina, that's the next step. So, Mizo Olam Kisimris, Oshon, Mekuteris, and then Lavoina. Lavoina literally means the frankincense, which is all the perfumes, which creates a joy, and also levaina probably, it doesn't explain the connection between Lavoina and Simcha, probably because moral levaina versus Mare Shcheire, they understood that the white bladder is, contributes to joy, and the black, the black gallbladder, mother Levoyner, mother Shchayder represents melancholy. You know he says, "I'm <laughs> So Levoyner represents the simch, v'zeluing and shisha chadushim b'sumim. That's pshat that Achashvedish wanted the girls, the young women, six months to have shem and amor, and six months to have sumim. Ubazeh anar ba Now you can enter into the king's chamber. What does it mean? Now you can enter. Now you can experience the relationship. In a way that the relationship will actually be able to be experienced in a meaningful way. It describes as aromatherapy. When you have an aroma it enters into your body. It satiates your soul with great delight. It's really the power of smell is strange because it doesn't really have substance aroma doesn't have you can't even see anything visibly I can understand the food impacts you, you can see it, you can touch it here, you don't see it, it's not tangible but yet the impact of aroma is very deep it gets absorbed deeply into the body so that's the, 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 the preparation to come into the king to celebrate God is always like a smell like a sense of smell. It's not something tangible. It's not something that you can define easily. It's not something that you can eat easily. It's not something you can touch. It's not even something you could see. What does a relationship with God look like? It's very hard for people to even talk about this. That's why we don't like talking about it. Even though all of Judaism revolves around it. What does it mean? Does anybody have a relationship with Hashem? What does it mean to have a relationship with Hashem? What are you having a relationship with? We barely have relationships with other people. You want to have a relationship with God? That's why it's called a reyach. is you have to be able to become accustomed that non-tangible reality sometimes impacts you more than tangible reality. Not everything that I see is real and everything that I don't see is fake. It's much profounder than that. Another relationship with Hashem is a relationship with subtlety, a relationship with mystery, a relationship with transcendence, a relationship with the secret behind the secret, a relationship with infinity a relationship to beyond beyond the tangible and therefore people often say i could believe in god if you prove it in a laboratory if you show me god in the laboratory like you show me other things then i can have a relationship with god <laughs> it's a very good taina right other things it comes to science prove it in a lab don't hack me a chineck with mysis and we all know the moment there's, a, there's an advantage in that because the lab often doesn't lie. I mean, unless it's global warming or whatever. But certain things, certain things. This is a great parameter for truth. But the truth is, and of course, when you don't do, when you don't have that, we all know what religion does to people and what some religions have done to humanity. The moment you allow people to just depend on complete faith without rationality. So every Tom Spaghetti and Harry could come up with their theory of life, and everybody has to believe it, and in the name of that, lots of abuse can happen, and lots of pain can be afflicted on innocent human beings. That's the challenge. But the other challenge is the other way around, and that is if I reduce all of my reality and all of my experience of reality and all of the definition of reality to that which I could see and that which is tangible, Actually, I'm reducing reality and myself to a very small parochial experience of it, not allowing myself to understand that instead of me defining truth, if truth is real, truth ultimately has to define me, not me defining truth. They say that there was a uh, physicist, Heisenberg, who wrote a letter to Einstein about quantum mechanics, and he employed a very profound metaphor. He said that there was once a fisherman, I think I shared it once, who wanted to tell the world how many fish there are and what types of fish there are. So he built this net, you know, theoretical net, and he put it into the seven seas, and he lifted it up after a few months, and he came out with a declaration to the world that there are no fish that are smaller than five inches. It was a laughingstock of humanity. In your own dining room you have goldfish, starfish, or whatever. The problem, of course, was he wasn't lying. He was right. There was only one issue. The holes in the net were five inches. The instruments we employ to determine reality will determine the reality that we're trying to discover. And yet we often never challenge the instruments we're using to define reality. In other words, our instruments are always prerequisite, fixed, and we take them for granted. And then we say, oh, of course this is reality. How is it not reality? But maybe you have to have the courage to challenge every instrument you use. Maybe you have to ask yourself if the instruments are already giving you the verdict that's to be expected because you have no other method, no other tool in order to be able to explore reality. So the Balatanya is saying something very deep. When it comes to celebrating a relationship with Hashem, you have to learn about the art of smell, the art of aroma. Reach is not something you could see. Reach is not something you can touch. Reach is not something tangible that you could feel with your hands. And yet, We know that it's transformative. We know that it's transformative. So basically, a relationship with Hashem means a relationship with that, the secret of the secret, the core beyond the core, the why beyond the what, the essence of the energy beyond the manifestation of the energy. Or to put it in simple terms, if God would be something that can be grasped by the five senses, by definition it would not be God. So therefore, the hachana for which is a metaphor of the melech, is shisha chadashim b'shem and amor v'shisha b'shem. I once heard from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs that uh, there was a Jewish historian in Britain, very world famous historian. His name was Isaiah Berlin. Yeshayah Berlin. Yishaia Berlin. He actually had the tefillin of the Balatanya son, the Mittler because he was an anical over there. And he was a classic, what you would call the real, you know, the real Jewish-British uh, socialist... Uh, Sir Isaiah, Isaiah Berlin. So uh, he once was speaking to Rabbi Sachs, who's a rabbi, and he said, Rabbi Sachs, don't talk to me about religion. When you talk to me religion, it's like playing music for somebody who's tone deaf. Somebody who's tone don't talk to me about this language... We do not talk about. Don't talk talk about other things. So I said. But before he died, he asked that he should give. He should officiate his funeral. He should do the eulogy. So he recorded. I don't know if it was a conversation he had with him or a conversation he had with him about with himself about him. But he said something very interesting. He said, you know, I, whether he told him or he should have told him, that uh, he said he was tone deaf. There's a lot of things in life that you could live without and there's no way of saying you can't live without it. For example, can a person live without humor? Sure. Some of you may even be married to such a person. Or some of your spouses may be married to such a person. There's people who live without humor. There's no such a thing as a sense of humor. You could live that way. What's humor? Very good. Wonderful. Uh, I had... I had a chava in Yeshiva. He was a computer. He wasn't I told him once good morning. He said you told it to me yesterday. <laughs> you understand? you told it to me yesterday. Why are you repeating yourself? It's an interesting scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. But when we had a question on mathematics, he was the guy to go to, you understand? <laughs> Nobody else. The guy who keeps on saying good morning, you know, he was the guy. You know, he, he went to the bathroom with dictionaries or with math books, whatever. That was his entertainment. God bless him. But uh, you, could, you, you could also live in the world without love. Without love. You could live in the world without music. I had another friend who once, he, he told me, there's no such a thing as music. It's manipulation of notes. He <laughs> so romantics decided there's something called music. It's not mu- no such a thing as music. It doesn't exist. You could live without humor. You could live without love. You could live without music. These are all possibilities. But life becomes smaller. It's life, but it's smaller, it's more impoverished. Nor can you prove in a lab that there is humor. You could live without God, and you could be a good person too. There are a lot of people who are wonderful people by nature, or by education, or whatever. They're fine people, right? But what it does is, is it reduces life. What do I mean? It's, it's a more impoverished world, it's a more impoverished life. It means there's no ultimate meaning. There's no ultimate purpose. There's no ultimate depth. There's no ultimate wisdom that I'm searching for. I'm searching for stuff. I want to know how things work. I want to make our world better. I want to be able to reach Mars maybe one day, not only through, uh, through uh, not only with pictures. Whatever I want to work on, I want to figure out the string theory, etc., etc. But ultimately, ultimately, as they say in Yiddish, ultimately I'm coming against a wall. So I could live without these things. He says, I can't tell you you're going to see it, nor can I tell you you're going to touch it. But what I can tell you is that if you open yourself up to it, so then all of life becomes transformed because there's a reyach, there's a smell. So let's finish the paragraph. He says, But it enters the heart, it rejoices the heart. It fires it up. Leislaya to leislay of and the pasuk finisher is mikoil afkas roichel from all of the various powders of the roichel of the one who sells the perfume. Haim kol mineh islavus ashabachol nefesh miyisol kol chadlu from shira delay. Every soul has its own type of islavus. There's a different perfume that triggers every soul differently. There's no islavus that's the same. Mikoil afkas roichel. Every soul is touched by something else. This is the perfume that makes you tick. And this is the perfume that makes you smell good in your own eyes. This is the perfume that gives you a fragrance and gives you an odor. And we all know how many types of perfumes there are. And if you don't know, you should figure it out before the next anniversary. <laughs> so there's... Every neshama has a different type of eslavos. And here again, I can't copy your eslavos. When it comes to his slavos, which is passion, you start copying other people. It's not his slavos anymore. His slavos means what gets you on fire. This is the second six months. the second six Why doesn't he say which ones? Because there's no one perfume. Through all this, this is how you show up to the king. You show up to the king, you need a Shem and Hamar, you need the wisdom of frustration. And then you have the levaina which is the Simcha. And then after the levoina, he says, the last thing is, afkas all of the various powders of perfumes, what each soul, what it gets turned on by God. Nobody gets, nobody can have the same relationship with Hashem like anybody else. There's no such a thing. Why? Because what you know in li- what you what you see in life is not what I see in life. What you experience in life in your kishkas is not what I experience in life. It's a different experience. <speaking in the language> what is What does David Amalek saying to Hillim? <speaking in> the <language> <speaking in> the <language> so there's a Tychan Svarim. Aniyadati Gadlashem means aniyadati. <language> I know it. And the way I know it, nobody else knows it. Because what you know about life, nobody else knows about life. There's something every person can teach the rest of the world about God that nobody else can know. There's something that every person has what to teach. So now the question I ask you is, what are you going to teach the world about God that nobody else knows? If, there's, if you cannot teach the world something that nobody else knows, it means you don't know yourself. If you would know yourself, you would know that there's something you can teach the world about God that nobody else knows. Aniyadati Question.